Well, this weekend we are closing out the collection of sermons on family. Uh, we had a delay in there, which I thought was appropriate. We inserted a sermon that wasn't part of the series, uh, and then we added a full sermon uh, to the series on singles in the church family and in the family. Uh, got a lot of feedback, and I always look forward to, you know, open up emails, and a lot of it was positive, so thank you uh, for the feedback that people gave on that. And then this week, we're going to look at uh, no perfect families. I thought it'd be great on Mother's Day weekend to be able to do no perfect families, and I do want to say again up front that I'm indebted to Ted Cunningham. He gave me a ton of resources on this, gave me full access to everything. I just said, you should come here and preach. He's like, I do pastor a church in Missouri. I'll be there that weekend. All right. So he said, you got this. You got this. Go for it. So I do want to give him all sorts of credit. Um, But before we get into the sermon, I do uh, also once again want to say it is Mother's Day, and we want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. We are celebrating Mother's Day, not birthing person's day, in case you're wondering. Uh, if you don't know, stay more up to speed with current events. All right. But anyways, um, the mothers this past year, I just got to say, like, okay, just giving birth, you, you own Mother's Day. All right. Like, you, you deserve all the praise and all the glory. I mean, it's serious. Okay. Just giving birth. But you, this last year, you were mom, you were nurse, you were part-time epidemiologist, uh, you were homeschool teacher. How many know it? I mean, you're like... Get the teachers back. How many? I love that meme that was out there. Did you see that meme that was out there? It says, my perception of homeschool moms last week. And then put the next one, my perception of homeschool moms now. <laughs> Seriously, you did it, moms. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Additionally, you worked from home and, and had to share. I mean, you were business operators. I mean, all this. And in this whole season of no play dates. The kids were having no play. Like, thank God those are back. And uh, I saw kids the other day, they were at the playground and, and it was so sad. This mom was trying to encourage her kids to go play, but they were so afraid of playing, they wouldn't even go play with the other kids. But thank God play dates are back. I, I grew up in a day when you didn't need play dates. How many are with me? You didn't need play dates? Yeah. This is true, true story. When, when I was little, my mom gave each of us a dollar, one dollar, and said, see you at five tonight, all right, you know? And, and with that, we grew up in Egan, we would bike to the McDonald's down on Highway 13 in Egan, be gone all day. I don't even wanna tell her what we did, but we were gone all day. And then when we, we just knew dinner was around five, we'd migrate home, and when dad would whistle, we'd go eat, you know? And so it's a new day, you got play dates, you gotta line it all up, I get it, all right. But with all that being said, Once again, I think they deserve a big round of applause. Happy Mother's Day. Come on, one more time here at all of our campuses. Happy Mother's Day. So today, no perfect parents, no perfect parents. And when you're reading the Bible, I'll jump right into this, you realize right away there are no perfect parents. I mean, just as you get it reading in Genesis, in Genesis chapter three, you see that Adam and Eve, they have boys, and one of the boys kills the other one. They have a murder in the family. Three chapters in, parents have a murder going on. Uh, We have nine chapters in, we have Noah being drunk and laying around naked in front of his family. We're nine chapters in. Isaac had favorites of his two boys, and his wife goes and lies 
to rip off one of her sons of his inheritance so the other one gets it, and she teaches him how to steal from his elderly blind father. Think about this. You talk about no perfect parents. You have Jacob having favorites on steroids, giving one child a coat of many colors, signifying he is my favorite. You talk about sibling rivalry. You go a little bit further, you get out of Genesis and you go to Judges. You have Samson in in Judges uh, 13. His parents are given angelic instruction on how to raise him. They follow the angelic instruction on how to raise their son. He still goes off and lives a wild life, completely disobeying the things that they've taught him. You see King David's family, and you talk about dysfunctional family. King David's family had uh, adultery, rape, murder, and insurrection against their own father. That's all in his family. Uh, Sometimes when I'm reading about King David's family, I, I think, I just have this thing in my mind going, Jerry, Jerry. And that dates me because that's Jerry, Seinfeld, or Jerry Springer. Yeah, yeah that's Seinfeld. Uh, why share this? I mean, some of you are like, I feel better. I feel better. I feel like my family's not that bad, all right? But here's why I share that. I want you to know God works with imperfect families. God works with imperfect families, and there really is no perfect family other than the family of God that will be in heaven when we're with him. And when we're there, that will be perfect. But until then, there is no perfect family. And we can thank God that he works with us as imperfect families and as imperfect parents, but we need to also realize that he wants us to be as healthy as we can. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. He gives us the tools and the resources and the strength to have a very healthy family. And I do want to say this. One of the greatest things my parents gave to me was a healthy family. We were not perfect, but it was a healthy home. It was one of those things that I would say is even beyond riches was the health that was there that even when there were mistakes, when things were done uh, wrong, it was just a healthy, healthy home. Now, I'm going to give you two things today, and um, I'm going to go through these as fast as I can and realize we could do week after week after week on parenting and the family, but it's got to come to an end. But um, the first thing is your family won't be perfect, but you can be healthy. Your family won't be perfect, but you can be healthy, and that's what you should pursue. We'll talk about that. And then the second thing, you are to impress your faith upon your children's hearts. That's your number one responsibility, to impress your faith upon their hearts. So the first thing, not perfect but healthy. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this about our families, and he says it even worse than non-perfect. He's, he's, this is an atmosphere of prayer. People are trying to figure out, like, will God give us answers to prayer? Does he listen to our prayers? Is he gonna be kind in our prayers? And this is what he says. Which of you of your sons asked for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus said, if you as parents who are evil, some would say sinful, some translations say sinful, he's saying you're sinful people, you have issues, you have problems, you have historical things, you have sin, you have sin in your life, God has none of this in his life, and he knows how to give perfect. If you give good gifts to your kids, how much more will God give perfect gifts to his children? 
We do things that, we, that show that we are imperfect parents. We, we do these things. And Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We do things that show that we are imperfect. And um, some have thought about our family, you know, that what I grew up in, like, you must have had a perfect family. I use all sorts of illustrations. Again, we weren't perfect. We were healthy. But I'll, I'll just share one of those moments that stood out to us that they, we weren't perfect, but we were just healthy. I remember... Uh, Summer vacation, I can't remember how old I was, uh, but I remember I was old enough that I had all three of my younger brothers there, and mom came to us in the morning and she said, who ate all the cookies? The whole package of Nutter Butters is gone. How many Nutter Butters? Yeah, right. The whole package is gone. And we're like, not us, not us. And she said, you're all grounded to your room until your father gets home. And we're like, we didn't do it, we didn't. We all went, I, I know one of you did it. So we all went to her room all day, summer vacation, we're in the room. And I'm just looking at Rick like, I know you did it. I know you did it. Just confess, even if you didn't do it, you just confess for other times, you know, like, come on. He's like, I didn't do it. So all day, dad pulls in the driveway. We're like, oh boy, now the interrogation's gonna start. We were in our room all day. And, and we get there and I can hear mom. It's like Charlie Brown's teacher talking, you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden they come to the room like, hey, family meeting, come on out of your room. And they're like, um, your dad has something to say. He's like, uh, this morning for breakfast, I ate all the Nutter Butters. <laughs> Sorry about that, kids. I mean, that should have been like worth like a get out of jail free card, right? Like, not grounded this week, nutter butter, cashing it in. Yeah, but it wasn't. But at least they apologized, all right? They apologized. They weren't perfect, but we were healthy. We were healthy. And our modeling from my mom and dad allowed Becca and I to have that same atmosphere, not perfect, but healthy. And I want to let you know that there are styles of parenting to avoid. And um, we'll get to some verses on the second part of this message, quite a few. But Ted put this list together, and I want to add to it. But he said, these are styles of parenting to avoid. Uh, this is wrong parenting. This is not healthy. If you are parenting in this way, and what I would say, vanity parenting, that's not healthy. And if you are trying to have your kids make you look good, and you're trying to say, look at how great they are, and you prop them up, and you just you push them for it, like, I look good because they're good, and so I'm going to cover their flaws, and I'm only going to talk about their good things, and, and you, you have this vanity parenting that is not healthy, which is very close to the second one, perfection parenting. If you have this type of parenting where it's perfection parenting, where you demand or um, uh, set such high standards of success in everything, this will cause your children to what it says, like, it'll be provoked to anger. Like, they've got to be perfect. They've got to be uh, perfect in sports, perfect in whatever hobby they do, perfect in a academics. Your kids don't have to be awesome at everything. They have to be who God has created them to be. And some of us like, you will be perfect. You will do this. You will be, come on, get out there. And I'll never forget when, when Logan was younger and Connor was uh, starting to sing and and he got put into a select choir and got to travel and now and then. He was in this group. And Logan said, like, am I as good as Connor in singing? And I just said, Dad, I said, no, you're not. And he's like, what? I said, well, you're not. Like, you're better at drawing than he is. 
and you're better at some other things than he, and I went through, these are the things that you're really good at, these are the things he's really good at, and, and he, you could just see, like, he just wanted me to say, yeah, you're just as good, you know, you're better. No, I, I, this is what you're good at, this is what he's good at. I wasn't trying to have them be perfect in every area, but recognize this is how God has created you, this is how God has wired you, this is how I, I'm gonna help you flourish, and their mom and I just, Becky and I, we just help them to flourish in the way that God designed them. It's wrong parenting to have competitive parenting. Comparing your child's strengths and weaknesses with all the others, and you're just competitive. This leads to the craziest things. I mean, you read it in the news. Like, a mom attacks a, a, a girl in high school so her daughter can be the homecoming queen. Uh, just recently, I read an article about a mom creating a fake account and sending online stuff and, and making up a fake account so to disparage another girl so that her daughter could get the advancement. It, it, it's terrible with this competitive parenting that's going on with pa parents attacking others. Another unhealthy type of parenting is ROI parenting, return on investment. Like you're like, we, 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 are, we have travel to every sporting thing, you will get a scholarship or else, you know. Uh, you will do this, and they just, you'll get on that stage, you will build that platform, you'll get in that stadium. It's just ROI that you've put so much in that you demand a return. And at some point, if your kids are like, I don't wanna do that anymore, let them go in the way that God's wired them. I'll tell you, when we were young, our parents would sign us up for all the different sports, and even if we hated the sport, they made us finish that season to learn commitment but then they say, if you don't like it, you don't have to do it, but you gotta finish the season because we signed you up for it. So you learned the completing things. Another thing is um, gifted parenting, where you just think your child's gifted and special and extra special, can do no wrong, they're above average in everything, the only place where everyone's above average is Lake Wobegon, all right? You know, and you're just, it's not like every, everybody's perfect in this. Another type of parenting that's wrong is rescue parenting. You protect your child from all the pain and all the risk, and all the loss. And I will tell you, you protect them from those obvious, I'm not talking about like, let them run in the parking lot, you know? You, you, you protect them from those things that truly can harm them. I remember when our kids were small, and I said, you will hold your mom and dad's hand in the parking lot, uh, and that's the way it's, and they're like, why, we don't wanna hold. I said, all right, walk over to this minivan. And I said, can you see the driver in the minivan right now? And they said, no. I said, I can. Until you can see the driver in the minivan, you have to hold mom and dad's hand in the parking lot. All right, so I'm saving them from that type of trouble, but there's other things where you just, parents are, are doing rescue parenting where they, they don't tell kids to work it out with their friends. They go and fight the friends. I mean, my parents would say, work it out with your friends. Figure out how to solve the problem. Become a problem solver. And how many know, like, I grew up in an era where we didn't have sports all the time. You had to play in the neighborhood, and you'd shut down, like, nobody can hit the ball to right field because we don't have enough people. And then if you didn't know if it was uh, out or safe, you had to do what? What would you have to do if you didn't know if it was out or safe and you were disagreeing? What would you say? Do-over. We do a do-over. All right, reverse. You go back. Because you know what? We didn't want the guy who owned the ball to leave, and it would be game over. So we had to learn how to do it. Now we have helicopter parents that hover over the kids and they do this and they rescue them from everything. And not only that, they have a new term, lawnmower parents, where the parents just mow down everything in their way, including teachers and authorities and competition. It's wrong, it's wrong. 
Another type that single parents are very susceptible to is companion parenting. You seek to uh, have friendship by elevating your child to becoming your friend. It's not good parenting. I'll give you another eighth one, quality time parenting. You cannot replace quality time, uh, quantity time with quality time. My dad had to work three jobs out of necessity. He worked uh, at Key Cadillac in Edina. He worked in the military, in the Army Reserve, and he worked as like an auditor counting guy. Three different jobs that he had in order to keep things going in our, in our household. And I could tell you that even though it, it consumed so much of his time, he said, I'm going to give my children quality time and quantity time. And so what did he do? He laid down hobbies. He laid down bowling. I remember that he was like an amazing bowler. Like every you know, morning we'd wake up on the weekend and see how big the trophy was dad's team won from bowling. He said, I'm going to leave that because I want to give my kids quality and quantity. He said, I'm going to lay down golf. You know? And then when our boys were born, Becca said, hey, here's the rule with golf. You can golf from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday, and on Sunday, if you bring the boys. So on Sunday, I brought the boys with me, and that necessitated having a cart that they would drive, but at least I was able to go out there. And it was like, I'm not going to live bad parenting and thinking that quality time replaces quantity time. And I realized parents want to be perfect, and there's so much pressure. Social media, I didn't have to deal with this as a parent And now the parents today are having to deal with social media. And the only thing I can liken it to, it's like perpetually being sent a Christmas card or a Christmas letter from that family. You know what I'm talking about? They they used to send the letter and they're like, here's a picture of our family. Here's our year and recap. We cured a disease. Our kids got straight A's. We hiked the Himalayas. We trained a service dog, built an orphanage, and saved $25,000 for college. How was your Christmas? You know, and you're like, seriously? So it's like real pressure. Let me answer a couple things that people ask. I'm, I'm talking to parents right now. Um, parents will ask, can our kids do sleepovers? I'm just gonna speak to the parents for just, like, they say, can, we do, can our kids do sleepovers? And I say, yeah, if the parents are home, if you, if you know the parents and the parents are home, and if it's no mixed company, it can't be boys and girls together. Can't, can't be that way. It, so if you wanna do that and you say, well, what about you know, things that can happen bad? I'll give you a tip. This is a thing that we learned with our boys. Logan went to a sleepover once and things went wrong because of an older brother and he showed him things that he shouldn't have showed him. So we pick up Logan, he's crying in the morning and we couldn't believe it. So we talked to the parents, this is what happened. And in, in, in the um, moment, we just said, okay, new thing, new thing for the kids. We told Connor and Logan, if you're ever at a sleepover and you feel uncomfortable, go to the parents and tell them you think you're gonna throw up. And they're like, but we don't, what if we don't feel like? No, you just say that. Just say, I think I'm gonna throw up. The parents are gonna call us, and then we'll come rescue you, all right? So that's your safe signal to get out of something that you're uncomfortable with for the sleepover. Now you've learned that, and you can give that to your kids, because they'll be like, get them out of here, all right? But people will ask, what about smartphones? And I don't have a verse, but I have common sense for this. This might scare you into delaying the kids having their smartphones. Average age is 10 for them to have smartphones, okay? Average age is 10. For us, the idea was whenever you're at events where there won't be parental supervision, then you get a phone. 
What do I mean? Like a Valley Fair day where you're there without parents watching you. Whenever that age is, that's where you're going to get a smartphone because that's going to allow you to be connected to us. Until then, no smartphone. I don't know what I do now because of what I'm seeing. New York Times just did an article about this. They said, what is the right age to give a kid a smartphone? And they said, because sexting begins on average at fifth grade. Porn consumption now starts at age eight. Porn addiction is now starting at age 11. And with that in mind, I'm looking at this wondering how far you should delay the cell phone because what's being placed in their hand is something that they, they have a hard time handling this. They have a hard time living with that responsibility in their hands. Our boys were so good about this. When they were in high school, a friend sent them something inappropriate and they came and talked to us. We had an open relationship that we could talk about these things, but it's not like that for everyone. Additionally, screen time causes low attachment to parents. They're discovering this. For every hour of watching TV, they attach their parents 4% less. For every hour spent on a computer screen or smartphone device, they attach to their parents 5% less. Children have about seven hours a day of screen or media time. Do the math. That's like 35% less attachment to parents. So you need to limit their use. I would limit the location. We said not in the bedroom. I sh you should uh, limit the, you should know the passwords. You should, uh, you know, be able to say, we want to look at this. You can put filters in there. You can examine it. You can say it's, they might say, well, it's my phone. You can say, well, it's my house. Okay, it's my house, your phone. I paid for the phone. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you paid for the phone. If the phone is in our house, the rules of the house overrule the rules of the phone. And we're going to look at it, and not only mom and dad, I'm going to bring it to the IT people at work, and they're going to look at it, all right, because I know you know how to hide things, all right? So, I mean, my mom once packed my brother Roger up, like, I can't even remember what it was about, but I just remember she literally packed him up and said, where are we moving you? You don't want to make our rules? Where are you moving? He said, Brett's house. So I remember driving Roger to Brett's house, here's the luggage, and there he is. Two weeks later, he's like, I'd like to come home. I'd like to be back, and I'll, you know, but our rules are our house. That's the way it is. Here's the deal. When they're small, when children are young, you're controlling the environment, and this is why the teen years are so hard, because you're moving from control to influence, and as a parent, you move from controlling the decisions to influencing them, and those teen years are like in between. You're trying to influence them, but they make really bad decisions, and so you have to jump in and so it's hard. That's what, and then when they move out, you're just going to be in the influence role. So another thing that people ask, they say, what about church attendance? And again, going back to my family and the way we raised our boys, our house, if you're here, you're going to church. That's just the way it is. You're going to church with us. You know, uh, God's going to be able to touch you. Now, I would speak to people online. I would just challenge you, if you're going to watch church as a family, watch church as a family. Don't be like doing dishes, making breakfast, taking the dog out for a break, do, you know, doing that. Like focus. If you're going to use online, make sure that it's undivided focus time that is there. But as you can, get back to church and have the family in church. And I would add this. What about sending kids to church camp? I would say get them to church camp. That's a week without phones. They don't allow them to have phones. They don't allow them to have computers. Some of you are like, where's the sign up? Put it on the screen. All right, put it on the screen. Um, 
this might be the most critical year for church camp. It's right there, I'm just saying. And by the way, kids camp, the deadline is this Friday. So you better get on it and figure out if you're sending your kids to church camp. Because, but I'm telling you, people, that's where, you know, people get their call into ministry. That's where people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's where people find Jesus. That's where they find best friends for life. You understand? That's where God gets a breakthrough and gets them away from all that and into just a focused time with God. It might be the most critical year for church camp, especially coming out of COVID and the isolation. You know, kids are facing such depression from the isolation and the lack of contact with friends. This might be the best year ever to get your kids to church camp. Now, we're not perfect, but we can be healthy. We're not perfect, and I'll just share this quickly. Um, Become a healthier you with God's help. Become a healthier you with God's help. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful dyers, and to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Go to freedom, put off the old things, put on the new things, keep becoming a healthier you. Secondly, have the healthiest marriage you can have. The healthier your marriage is. Ephesians 5 gives us all sorts of things about marriage. Have a healthy marriage, healthy you, healthy marriage, and then healthy parenting. And we could follow God's example. Jesus said God was a good father. He said that God is a good listener. He said in John eleven forty one. so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. God heard Jesus. He was a good listener. He said God was a good provider. Matthew 7, 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Another thing he said about God the Father, he said he sees us as valuable. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. We're valuable, is what Jesus said to our heavenly father. Follow that example and let your kids know that they're valuable. And then he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us now and forever for eternity. A scripture that we know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. We're gonna be with him for eternity. He's like, you're gonna go be there. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions and we're gonna be there with him forever and ever, letting our children know that we want to spend time with them now and we see them as a blessing and not a burden. Now, second part, and I know this is going long, but I'm gonna, I'm taking this moment. Secondly, impress your faith upon their heart. Impress your faith upon, it's the number one thing. It's the thing that I struggle with as a pastor that I'll see parents and it almost looks like the number one thing they wanna do is make sure their kids are in every sports and I love sports and I had my kids in sports and I still watch sports, okay? But it feels like it just triumphs over everything, 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 and I'm like, Odds are they're not gonna grow up to be a pro athlete, but odds are they're gonna need to grow up and be a healthy Christian, okay? Impress your faith upon them. Deuteronomy 6, verses five and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You impress them, you write it on their hearts. 
It's so appropriate with Mother's Day to use Timothy as an example of this because that's what happened. His mother and his grandmother impressed it upon Timothy's heart. And Paul's so impressed with this that he says this in 2 Timothy 1.5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. See, it was impressed from grandma and mom, and somehow grandma and mom teamed up on Timothy, and Timothy turned out living for Jesus. In 2 Timothy 3.14, verse 15, it says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. Remember, he learned it from his mom and his grandma. And he says, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love this. I love that my mom and my wife teamed up on Connor and Logan. Sure, I had some of them, but the two of them were teaming up on them. And, and I could say that about them and say, Connor and Logan, the faith that is in you, that it was in your mother, Becca, and in your grandmother, Isabel, and in your grandmother, Betty. I mean, it, it passed on. There's something about that. So I'll give you some practical things on this. This is too important to skip. If you want to impress your faith upon your children, uh, one of the things you need to do is to read the Bible. You personally need to read the Bible and you need to have your kids reading the Bible. And we have done something at church so wonderful. We have the soap journal right there. We've helped, we were helping you have passages of scripture. We, we also have like the Go Kids cards right now. They're getting Bible trading cards with the soap stuff on it right there. We're, make, we're putting it in your hands right there for you to be able to do this so you can impress your faith. Because people are like, where do I read? What do I do? How do I do it? I also want to just challenge parents with this. Just give kids enough to keep it going. Don't try to give them the whole Bible before they're five. You know, I know some of you, we had 47 minutes of devotions before they went to school. And then when they got home from school, we did another hour. And then but at night, we did an hour. I mean, just give them enough to keep it moving forward, all right? Second thing, pray with and for them. Pray with them and for them. We gave you a resource of virtues to pray over your children. That's how you impress your faith upon them. You pray with them and you pray for them. I will sometimes text our family, even now, we have a family thread, and I'll say, I pray this virtue over you today. I pray this over to you, and I just believe that God will form this in you. We're, we're praying it with and for. Another huge thing on how to impress your faith upon them, Randy Alcorn just weighed in on this list. He said, serve at church, serve at church, like serve. If you just go, that's one thing, but when you serve, your faith takes it to another level. I love it when I see little mini ushers there with dad or mom handing out things and right there and doing things. I love when I see the, the Go Kids teams that are serving as kids and they're saying, we're in. I love, like you may not know, but sometimes the tech team, the tech team should all be kids right now, right? We're all going to them for mentoring anyways. Like, how do I turn this thing on? You know, turn that around. Oh, that's how it works. So, okay, all right. Yeah, so we're gonna do that. We're gonna serve a church. Another thing is our music and our media, the things we're bringing into our home. The music, are we praising? Are we listening? I can't tell you how many times we've had praise and worship moments in the car. 
you know, and we're doing the air drums and we're praising and we're, uh, you're doing that. It, it's, it's another way to impress it upon them. Seeing them, them seeing you worship, them seeing you worship in that moment is a way to impress it upon their faith. Having a culture of church, not just, you know, outsourcing them to other things. Like, we're gonna send you to camp and that'll make up for a year of non-church attendance. You have to have a culture of being part of the body of Christ, being in the family of God. And when you have that culture of that, all of a sudden, it, it, it impresses that upon them. And then your example, your example. I mean, you know, that's the biggest thing. You want to impress it upon them. It's your example. Kids see everything you do. They hear everything you say. They forget none of it, and they repeat it later in life. It's true. I'll never forget when Connor said to us one time, he said, Sometimes I pretend to not be listening, but I am. And I was like, <laughs> they see it all, they hear it all, they forget none of it, and they repeat it later in life. So we're going to model. And so right now, wherever you're asked, at, I just pray right now that you would receive this, that you would say, God, I desire to be the godly parent. I desire to be the godly grandparent. I, my children may be out of my home right now. But God, I just pray right now that you would help me to not live in a time of regrets, but live in a time of redeeming, and that I would admit to the things that I've done wrong, and I would ask for forgiveness of the children, and then move forward. That's what I'm praying for families right now, that they would do that. I pray that there'd be a new day for new families, and we'd realize, God, we're not perfect, but we can be healthy. And then, God, I pray that we'd realize it's the number one thing for us to impress our faith upon our family and upon our children. We pray that as they're raised in the ways of the Lord, they will not depart from it, that if they reach a, a troubled time, if they're wayward right now, I just pray for that. If there's wayward children, I pray in Jesus' name for them to come home in Jesus' name. Come home in Jesus' name. Let them bump into somebody, run into somebody. You're, you're, you're God that can orchestrate that. And so I just pray that you do that. I just pray right now, God, that we would be healthy and we would be faith-filled, passing it on to the next generation. Help us now in Jesus' name to do that. In your name we pray, amen, amen, amen.